this election did nothing to lessen the polarization. We're about an equally divided country. Welcome back to another installment of Barney and Clyde, brought to you fortnightly and forthrightly. This is uh, BNC Season 2, Episode 21. Uh, today we're going to talk about the uh, the recent election, funny business or not, uh, is voter fraud an issue uh, this week after the election. Uh, we're talking about the libertarian element. Did Dr. Joe Jorgensen make a difference in the election outcome, as is, is claimed by some? Uh, you'll never be woke enough. The left will not accept last week's vanquishing. Barney Quick, welcome back to the Digital Libation Station. And welcome back to you. Yes, indeed. Uh, Clyde, always good to see you. Um, welcome to all those uh, who are returning. We've, uh, we've um, got a, uh, reader or a viewership and listenership that, that has been growing, and, and we've got some faithful followers and so forth. But if you're new, the basic premise... Um, in non-pandemic times, we meet in, at, at the libation station, the bar uh, across from the office in my home. And um, we, we uh, take three or four matters that are on the nation's plate at the, at the time and, and um, kick them around. Clyde is a libertarian. I'm a conservative. There's a considerable amount of Venn diagram overlap, but there's certain areas that are outside that Venn diagram. And... Um, we have in common, the main thing we have in common is is the notion of the primacy of human freedom, that it's the most important characteristic for human flourishing. And, and um, so uh, that's the premise. And we, we have these little segment names that we give things. And um, so uh, that, that that's the premise. And, but um, we still... Uh, have a beverage together, even though it's it's uh, remotely um, and since since this um, pandemic's hit. And uh, Clyde, what do you got today? I've got an O'Doul's Amber. So this okay. is a uh, non-alcoholic beer. Tries to be a step above the normal class of uh, non-alcoholic beers. Um, it still sucks. But it's uh, it is a little bit better than most of the sort of like um, you know Budweisery. Uh, if, if you could make a Budweiser worse, you do it by taking the alcohol out of it, <laughs> and they try to put a little bit of the flavor back in by having I don't know some more um, amber type grains, some some more robust malts, and it definitely it definitely improves it. But it's it's still got miles to go. Well, I'm I'm going. To... I've got that autumnal theme going on. I've got some River Ridge salted caramel ap- apple cider. Ooh, it's very uh, very seasonal. Well, we've got uh, three things we're going to look at today that are uh, of a pretty darn timely nature, I think. Um, first off, uh, the thing that is just going on and on and on is, is this notion that there, there's something fraudulent about the electoral process, generally speaking, and in particular places. Clyde, we, uh, when we were um, doing a little show prep, he said that this may take us outside the outside the Venn diagram. Easy for me to say, but my my feeling, I, I mean, you look at uh, the um, the New York Times um, this, uh, just this morning had a big piece. Uh, the Times officials called, or the New York Times called officials in every state, and no evidence of voter fraud. I mean, oh, that's horseshit. No uh, evidence. No evidence of voter fraud. Like, I mean, there's some evidence of voter fraud in every election, right? I mean, there, well, are they saying no evidence of widespread voter fraud or no evidence well, of I, substantial? I, if you read into the article, I mean, they've only got so much space for a, for a headline, but um, enough fraud that it would have moved the needle, that it would have made a difference in the outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, is uh, basically what they're saying. Election officials in dozens of states representing both political parties said there was no evidence that fraud or other irregularities played a role in the outcome, um, a more amounting to a forceful rebuke of President Trump's portrait of a fraudulent election. Uh, What's that based on? They, they call uh, 
these uh, election officials in the state and they go, well, I don't know. We did everything right. Of course we did everything yeah. right. You know? Yeah. yeah, we're hitting 100%, man. The boss calls you, hey, uh, how's everything going down there on the line? You guys uh, knocking out those your work? Oh, yeah, boss. We're really we're really doing it right. We did every, everything. Well, what about some quality problems? You guys have any quality problems? Oh, no, no, boss. Everything's, everything's great. You know? Well... Help me out here. What, what, uh... <laughs> okay. Well, my my only point is is that um, it for it's, it's impossible for you and I to know what voter fraud occurred or didn't occur, or to really examine this in depth. Right? Barney Quick and Clyde Myers can't know the um, specifics of the entire United States presidential election. You know. Uh, brought to you by 50 states and a God who knows how many counties within each of those states. Uh, Indiana has 92 counties, each with their own, you know, election process. So you could imagine times that by 50 states and some of them much, much more massive than Indiana. So we can't know what happened. But one thing I'll guarantee you there, what, how many votes were cast? Like uh, 150 million, like half the population voted something like that, 150 million votes cast. And it's one of the most um, uh, highest voter turnouts ever. I think it set a record. Yeah, and, and, and it was higher on both sides. So more Republicans, more people came out to vote Republican and more people came out to vote um, Democrat. So we got more people voting. Um, so there's got to be some fraud in that situation. There's got to be some incompetence in that situation. There's got to be some... Just mistakes, uh, 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 snafus, and computer problems in all that situation. The question isn't did was there fraud, was there incompetence, was there abuse, was there uh, what were there glitches? The question is how how bad was that? Was it substantial? Did it um, uh, would it throw the election in either way? Yeah. Even if it only threw one state, I mean, we got to sort that out. So just as a couple anecdotal examples. Um, and again, this is from the New York Times, okay? I think we can agree that the Times is kind of a lefty outfit uh, these days. So they said that um, three types of absentee ballots that never reached voters were discovered in a, a postal center outside Milwaukee. At least 9,000 absentee ballots uh, requested by voters were never sent, and uh, others recorded as sent were never received. Even when voters did return their completed ballots in the mail, thousands were postmarked too late to count or or not at all. So, I mean, there's an example from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Nearly 2,700 absentee ballots in Milwaukee were not sent and about 1,600 in the Fox Valley were not processed because of computer glitches and mailing problems, according to the most comprehensive account of of what went wrong in the April 7th election. So this was during the, the primary. But it just shows you that there there are plenty of examples of, of this stuff, you know, being broken. Let's see, in Pennsylvania, um, the attorney general said before the election, uh, if all votes are added up in Pennsylvania, Trump is going to lose. So he said that, or she said that before the election. And then um, according to Rudy Giuliani, the the uh, former presidential candidate, the former mayor of New York City, and the uh, the president uh, President Trump's uh, attorney, current attorney, uh, he said the margin in Pennsylvania was about forty thousand votes, and they have at least four hundred to four hundred fifty thousand uh, that that they have in question at the moment, just in Pennsylvania, but they also have those in in Michigan and Nevada and uh, and other places. Well, the, uh, this New York Times article that I was talking about, the Office of State Law Enforcement Official said that there was no evidence to support Mr. Giuliani's claims that the election in the state was fair and secure. Um, many of the claims against the Commonwealth have already been dismissed and repeating the false attacks as reckless, said Jacqueline Rhodes, the spokeswoman, spokeswoman for Josh Shapiro, a Democrat who is Pennsylvania's Attorney General. No active lawsuit even alleges and no evidence presented so far has shown widespread problems. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be statistically unlikely that a national election would not have some uh, funny business. Uh, 
there always it has been. The question is, um, and you know, now we get to stuff like uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell's statement the other day that uh, President Trump is certainly within his rights to um, pursue all uh, means of investigation. Uh, but um, the general consensus is that uh, no amount of change, possible change in uh, tally numbers in, in any state is going to put him ahead of uh, Joe Biden. But what's the basis for that for that consensus? Like, I mean, what what does that come from? Some kind of um, um, second tally or anything like that? Because um, I've got a couple Giuliani clips. If you're game for those, let's listen to a couple of these here. We had no observer, not a single observer, for over three hundred and fifty thousand mail-in votes that were counted. Now, can you explain no for, for people who don't know this, because, Mayor Giuliani, you've been in government a long time, and you've been a prosecutor, so you are, a, despite what the left may want to say, you're a brilliant man. A lot of Americans may not know what that means. Can you qualify what, what observer means, is, means? What it means is, and it makes sense, right, when you have a mail-in vote, absentee votes are always counted this way. In order to verify the vote, there's a Republican on one side, a Democrat on the other side, and an election official on the other. He takes out the envelope. Everybody gets the chance to look at it. They make sure it's a real envelope. They open that up. They put it aside. Then there's an inner envelope. They make sure that that is properly processed to a specific election district. They look inside. They see a ballot. They don't look at who he votes for. And then they both approve it, and they put it in the voting pot. Either side can make an objection. Right. The Republican or the Democrat. And then they put those aside, and then those are examined by an independent judge. That was that did not happen here. The law required that it happened. Wow. The law required that every single ballot be observed because these mail-in ballots are inherently prone to fraud. They're easy to they're easy to send in a hundred of them. Right. Two hundred of them. Right. So this is a very important part part of the process that removes the fraud. Right. In the case of four hundred or so ballots, there was no Republican inspector. We have 50 different witnesses to establish that and videotape. Right. Yeah. And we just we ran went some of that court, videotape. And we went to court and the court required that we be allowed six feet closer so we could see the ballots. Mm -hmm. When uh, Corey Lewandowski and his colleagues went, went back with the court order that we were put six feet closer, but the people counting the ballots were moved 10 feet further away. Oh. Right. And he was and he was threatened with arrest by the sheriff what? if he insisted on anything else. The lawsuit we file tomorrow will allege what I just told you, and we will we will have a hearing and we will prove it. But by the time we're finished, that number is going to go way up. Okay, so that's uh, that's from the Louder with Crowder podcast. It's sort of a, a conservative comedy show. Um, which is really welcome in conservative talk radio. A little something lighthearted is is quite a breath of fresh air. But anyway, uh, so Giuliani's claim is that they've got you know fifty witnesses in in, in some areas that have um, signed affidavits, you know, swearing that they that they saw um, vote election fraud take place, that they saw po poll workers um, violate the law and exclude Republicans. And um, and that kind of thing. So it's um, um, again, it might not be that many, but but it it's there's a lot of witnesses saying that it did happen. Um, so I think that they should probably take the time to investigate it. Let me play one more, Giuliani, if you got the time. Uh, sure. If you have to go with your gut feeling, how much of this do you think? Mayor Giuliani, is just machines that don't work, systems that don't work, versus there potentially being actual nefarious activity? Because I think a lot of Americans are curious. Well, I think the whole mail-in system from the very beginning was designed to give Democrats their fail-safe. Hmm. That's why I think Hillary said, you know, don't concede no matter what the vote is, 
keep going. Look, you look at you look at uh, Pennsylvania the night of the election. He was ahead by eight hundred thousand votes. Yeah, it was crazy. Sixty-four percent of the vote. It's almost mathematically impossible to make that up, and we'll have experts that say that. So you got to cheat in order to make that up. Right. Uh, so I, I I think that the mail the mail the mail mail in vote was always kind of a way the Democrats could cloud what they do in almost every election, which is they hold back a couple of key cities right. to try to see how much they have to make up. Now, if they have to make up too much, they usually give up. But if they're within one or two percent, they're going to try to steal the election. In this case, it was too important. Right. So they went for a big one. They, the, reason the, the reason the situation in Pennsylvania is so obvious is they had to make up 800,000 votes. Right. I mean, they even expanded the denominator. At one point, there were 94% of the votes cast. Right. They counted 40,000 more votes, and it went down to 90%. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> Wow. Now, how does that happen? That means, you brought more, that means you ship more votes in the back door. So he's saying that, you know, they had to, they had to uh, suddenly come up with, you know, 800-some thousand votes all of a sudden uh, just, to, just to bring the gap back up, so... Well, it would be his word against um, Josh Shapiro's, the, the Pennsylvania Attorney General. Um, uh, his office is saying that no active lawsuit even alleges uh, red problems. And, and uh, okay, and and point being that um, even okay, heads of state from Netanyahu, Israel's Netanyahu, to Turkey's Erdogan, to Boris Johnson, who. Um, is really uh, more of a uh, kindred spirit to Trump than he is Biden, Boris Johnson of the UK, Angela Merkel, Macron of France, Trudeau. Our congratulations to Biden are pouring in from these people. And um, there are even some Republican senators, uh, Ben Sass comes to mind, who are breaking ranks and, and um, congratulating Biden. <laughs> there just doesn't seem to be uh, a, a um, none of these, like I said, this um, New York Times article, in every state, um, election officials have said there's nothing so widespread that it would have changed the outcome. Yeah, but did yeah. they, but did they audit it? That's what, that's what I don't understand. So again, because you and I can't know this, you know, yeah. um, I have to, I have to speculate. Yeah. I speculate that Joe Biden has won this thing yeah. fair and square. But I also speculate that there's a lot of cheating going on. And I don't know if that cheating is commanded from the top or if it's just people cheat for their team. And I don't know if that cheating is one-sided. I think if they did an audit, they might find that um, not only do the Democrats cheat, but the Republicans probably cheated in a lot of cases too. Um, and I think that they'll find that our uh, that our fragmented voting system um, is is probably responsible for a lot of um, incompetence or a lot of um, um, people not getting to vote or votes counted improperly just by mistakes, glitches, and uh, and that kind of stuff. I think that anyone who doesn't want there to be a an audit of this system, um, I mean, there's got to be who who conducts this audit? Our federal electoral commission? Well, I, I'm not sure, but what you have to have is you have to have agreed upon representatives from the Republican Party, from the Democrat Party, and then some kind of objective third party that they both agree on as an objective third party. And then they have to, then you have to audit each state's process and go down as granularly as both sides agree to go down. It's suspicious to me that I haven't heard anyone on the left saying, yeah, we should conduct this audit. We should be 100% transparent with the American people. And we should make sure that everyone knows just how legitimately Joe Biden won. Let's do this thing. Um, they're all calling for, you know, to, to sweep it under the rug and, and move on with life and forget about it and not do this. Even though even if even if we think the, the, the 
process is good, you're still supposed to audit those processes, you know, periodically, unless you want it to become bad. That's how every grown-up <laughs> job operates. You know, you audit your processes, and you make sure that they're getting dialed in when they're getting uh, out of sync. Um, so, and I don't hear anyone on the left calling for the audit, or at least just being open to it. Um, everyone who wants, who seems to want transparency, is is on the right. It seems, um, and that makes sense that most of them would be because they're the losers in this one so far, in this race so far. Um, but you would think there'd be some people with both opinions on both sides. Well, we've seen people on the right saying, nah, it's over. Let's move on. Congratulations, Mr. Biden. But I don't hear anybody in left media or government saying, yeah, let's, con- let's conduct an audit of our, of our election system. Okay. Um, there, I, I, I can see the case for an audit of the system. I just think that, um, uh, there is a, a worldwide consensus shaping up that this was uh, um, cleanly enough, our national election was cleanly enough uh, conducted that um, we can safely say that uh, Donald Trump lost. And, and but that's not how we conduct. That's not. That's not how we come to decisions, though. Like you know, there's a wide consensus on um, the the man-made effects of uh, global climate change and how the the temperature is warming and setting record uh, hot years year after year. And I think that you would agree that that, well, just because people agree doesn't make it fact. It's this, it's the science conducted behind it. How did, how did that consensus become reached? Um, well, there's not a uniform consensus on the matter of, this, of the climate. There's um, lots of. Uh, well, it, it depends on who you ask. If you ask, yeah. if you ask heads of state and people who aren't climate scientists, there's clearly a consensus. Okay. So if you're asking people, you know, in in those same roles who aren't on the ground floor, how do they know what's going on? Especially if they don't audit the system. Uh, this zeal on the part of Trump's enthusiasts and and, and, and certainly his cult followers to um, claim fraud when no court is taking one of these cases up and, and pursuing it. Um, as a conservative and someone who would like to think of himself as a Republican, but really doesn't anymore because of the Trump phenomenon, but um, it, it, it bothers me. And, and you, you've even got, for instance, um, in uh, Georgia, the, the business about um, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue—they, from my standpoint, as a, like I say, as a conservative, they are the last possible bulwark that this the federal this country has against the imposition of the hard left vision of today's Democrats, the, the Biden Harris administration, and and um, the even farther left folks that we're going to be talking about later on the show. And they're acting like knuckleheads about it. This business is calling for the resignation of the Republican uh, Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, um, saying that he failed to deliver honest and transparent elections. Knock it off. He, uh, no one but them is disputing what, what's going on in, in Georgia. And they are um, endangering their own prospects in the, in the January runoffs for, for both of their seats. And, I, you know, I, it, it's time to, to knock that off and focus on campaigning on the basis of your principles and ideas and policy proposals and, and leave this uh, out of it. Um, and, and Donald Trump himself, you know, with the, the I won the election tweets, uh, it, it's um, he, he looks increasingly with every day that goes on in public perception, like a, a, a guy out of touch with reality and, and um, uh, I, I, okay, I mean, my question, I guess, to you would be, um, should we hold off on officially declaring um, Biden the, the president-elect and hold off on him getting briefings from our intelligence agencies and getting, you know, a, a, a being um, facilitated in the transition, uh, you know, period and so forth? Until this audit 
you'd like to see us perform? Well, no, I don't think that they should hold off on. Um, I don't think they should hold off on intelligence briefings. In fact, I think they're already doing that. I think they do that uh, a month or so before the election. The the contenders start getting some amount of of national security and briefings on you know things that they'll if they need to go in on day one and take care of something that they're they're up to speed already so i believe that already happened i remember um following the uh, gary johnson campaign in 2016 and they were talking about that how how the republican and democrat candidates were already getting um uh intelligence briefings before the uh before the election and uh they were trying to get that extended to the libertarian ticket as well um but I think that they, they there's no, certainly no rush to declare uh, the winner. I mean, we've got until January, um, so I think you could at least take the rest of the month. Um, I, well, how long was it in two thousand when when uh, about mid December after that final Supreme Court decision? Yeah, at uh, the Broward County Quit County Court, some thirty eight days or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so well over a month. So, you know, I don't think there's any, any rush. I, I'm not sure you could complete a full audit in that time, but I think you could uh, investigate the, the claims um, that are, uh, that have been submitted by the Trump campaign and, and Rudy Giuliani and, and uh, see if there's any, anything there. Uh, there's, there's probably, again, there's probably something there. It, it, it may be small, but there's probably something there. But it's probably not enough to throw the election. But I don't think that we should let. Um, I don't think we should let eyewitness cases of, of fraud and abuse and crimes go go, you know, un, uninvestigated. Okay, um, you know, this year has just been highly unusual because of the pandemic, and that's why there was such an emphasis on mail-in voting. Uh, under normal circumstances, I don't. I, I am not. I don't uh, have much use for mail-in voting. As a matter of fact, I'm something of a traditionalist, I think, unless you're uh, overseas serving the government, serving the country, or um, physically incapacitated, you ought to show up at the polls on election day. Mm -hmm. My point is that, as you were saying a while ago, there don't seem to be any on the left saying, let's have a thorough audit of our entire election process. I don't, it's been, Increasingly, there is no one but people who are on record as being diehard Trump supporters calling for um, prolonging this when when um, there's there's an overriding consensus that um, the numbers are are uh, such that um, no new discoveries of discrepancies could re reverse them. Um, I just noticed while we were. Um, uh, had, a, had a little um, a, a, a news item I noticed on uh, a site I've got up said that uh, Pastor Robert Jeffress of the um, uh, of a bat, the, the big mega Baptist mega church in Dallas and you couldn't ask for a more sycophantic leg humping Trump supporter <laughs> but he has said that um, I you know it's a bitter pill to swallow but Joe Biden is our president elect. Um, I, the, the, you get to a point where the the country, indeed the world, and I, I, it is important to talk about it on a world scale because um, uh, America's relations with other countries and its role in the world and, and global stability comes into play. It's the, the, the general perception is quickly becoming that Joe Biden is going to take the oath of office on January uh, 20th. And um, and uh, the, there's just... Um, and if they it, don't investigate the claims and they don't, they don't audit the system in, to some degree and Republicans aren't allowed to be a part of that audit process, you'll never convince the, uh, the base that it wasn't stolen from them. Never. Yeah, that that's true. It's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth, but they will, yeah, and and do nothing to, to uh, bring us together or end our polarization. That's right. That's right. Right. Okay. Um, I 
I just okay. Some uh, people have even have even alluded uh, third party candidates as election spoilers. Yeah. Okay. We're kind of. <laughs> <laughs> we right, gotta get no, smooth with. We um, gotta get smooth with segues. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, and I, <laughs> you're speaking of uh, Jorgensen, and uh, tell me about how. Um, what was her final vote tally? Um, what percentage of the vote did she get? Uh, just over one percent, I think. Okay. Um, of course, she carried no no states, um, and it was a, a. I'm not really sure the exact numbers, but it was a. It was it was fewer than we got in 2016 with the Johnson Well campaign. Okay. Um, but in a few states, Jorgensen covered the spread between Biden and Trump. Okay. So that's what that's where they're saying where where this the states where Biden carried the state and the gap between them um you know Jorgensen's vote total covers the gap between those two. So they're saying and a lot of news outlets are are asking the question, well did uh um did Jorgensen spoil the vote? And I don't know. I don't know what what do you what do you what do you call an election spoiler. The only one I, the, that I really think has been in the last you know, 30 years uh, is Ross Perot in 92. I, yeah. Uh, I, I think that he was a major factor in the election going to Jordan, or Bill Clinton. A factor? But was he a, you know, like, did he spoil it? Did he spoil it for... Um, who was Clinton running against then? Uh, Bush Senior. W. Bush, yeah. Yeah. So did did he spoil the election for for H. W. Bush or did he? I think research uh, combing over the numbers has shown that he he did. I, uh, uh, that it would or it, at any rate it would have been a much tighter race without him in it. Yeah, but but um, does that really mean that Perot spoiled it? For Bush, or did Bush spoil it by not appealing to the people who defected to go vote for Perot? Well, okay, now that's that's uh, that's um, worth worth. Uh, so the same thing here with with Dr. Jorgensen. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I might point out that uh, I believe she's the the she was the only candidate with a uh, advanced degree, um, but I feel like a vote has to be earned. By the candidate, it's not entitled. It's not entitled oh, to them. So, so if 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 Trump is not getting the um, the votes, it's because he didn't earn them. I mean, assuming you know fraud and incompetence and all that aside, it's because he didn't appeal to those people, uh, and they made a different choice. But it also assumes that like that Jorgensen only pulled from. Uh, from Republicans, you know, that Republicans are the only ones who are disenfranchised. And that is so not the case. I mean, if you look at uh, Jorgensen's presence on social media sites, you'll see tons of young, young, young people, um, a lot, a lot of women, a lot of young women. And they're, um, they're, they're obviously pulling from, um, from the left quite hard. So I, I, I just think like, if you assume that she, oh, she, okay, she covered the spread. You have to assume that she was going to, or that one candidate or the other was going to get one hundred percent of those votes. Yeah. In order to say that she spoiled it or whatever. Um, I would say, yeah, that's that's true. Um, what what's the conversation like been within the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian? movement um, in the aftermath of last week's election. Has it given them any indication, uh, indicators as to where, what to do next time or um, in ineffective messaging or effective messaging or anything like that? Well, I'm not really involved with, um, with party leadership, but I, I've, I've got my finger on the pulse of it a little bit. I just, from what I, from what I, you know, I, I, uh, 
try to coordinate uh, our our unofficial county chapter here in Bartholomew County, Indiana, and I'm a member of the LP Mises Caucus. Um, and one theme that's been going through the party is is which group of disenfranchised voters do you, is most likely to come over? You know, yeah. um, who should we be reaching out to the most? Where should we angle our messaging? And um, and so people like the Mises Caucus are saying, well, we should go straight towards the core libertarian principles and never back down from them, and be absolutely clear and and not and not be. Uh, um, hyper pragmatist and hyper um, willing to compromise, we should be true to our core beliefs. The party leadership in historically has been uh, sort of left leaning. So they're reaching out to the left a lot. And I think some of that comes from, um, you know, the, the LP being very welcoming to uh, people with alternative lifestyles, you know, um, the, the, um, same-sex marriage equality was in the very first libertarian platform and has been in every one of them. So it's always been a good place for um, uh, people who believed in human freedom, but also also fiscal responsibility and that kind of stuff. So we recently in Indiana had the Donald Rainwater campaign, right? Yeah. And, and Donald Rainwater appealed to the right quite a yeah. bit. One of my day jobs, I'm, I'm a uh, journalist. Uh, there's a media company in, in the city where we live that owns four radio stations and has a website called Local News Digital. And I, I, uh, I spent election night down at the station um, posting returns on Local News Digital. And I noticed that two of the counties in the listening area for the radio stations, um, Rainwater did substantially better than Woody Myers, the uh, uh, Democrat yeah. candidate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so what what he did was he appealed to the right. The the I think the party leadership suspects that the the right comes to us anyway. People who are Republicans who get disenfranchised with the Republican Party um, come to us kind of naturally and organically because we're we're for free market economics. We're for um, personal liberties. We're for the Second Amendment, that kind of stuff. And so it's, it seems like a natural home for a disenfranchised Republican. And a lot of people who, um, yeah, just believe in marriage equality and, and, and believe in, in those kinds of personal freedoms or drug decriminalization, they get tired of, uh, of the Republican Party moving too slow on those things, and they come to the LP. Um, so I think the party leadership thinks that they have to keep reaching out to the left and reaching out to the left. And while I think they should reach out to everybody, um, the Donald Rainwater campaign, which came in at 12% of the vote. I mean, that's just a huge record for a, for a libertarian. It's just, it's just amazing. It is. It's quite impressive. But they did that by, by trying to outright the right, not trying to outwoke the left. So they were trying to out, let me rephrase that. They were trying to out freedom the right instead of trying to outwoke the left. And if you look at Jorgensen's, um, you know, Twitter feed and that kind of stuff, it was just this constant um, pandering to the left. It was tons of, of you know, um, you know, empty platitudes about racism and binary choice and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, we all, we're all anti-racist, okay? We, but... But if you're gonna if you're gonna bring that stuff up, you've got to have more than platitudes. You've got to have policy. You've got to have, you know, tangibles, and you've got to relate that to human freedom and how that works with the libertarian message. And it just it's it seemed like it fell flat. So I would venture to guess that the uh, the Jorgensen campaign did not pull from the right as heavily as a libertarian candidate normally would have. But that's com- that's complete speculation on my part. Okay. Be interesting to know how uh, libertarian gubernatorial candidates did against the Republicans and Democrats in other states. Yeah, is is the is Indiana's twelve percent figure higher or lower than some kind of average for that? Oh, it's it's higher by a lot. Okay. I think the the average um, race like that comes in around two to five percent. Okay. Um, and the only times people will bring up, um, you know different candidates like Jesse Ventura and things like that. But, but, um, but Jesse Ventura 
as I understand, he's he's sort of libertarian leaning, sort of small L libertarian, but not on everything. And he, I think he ran as an independent, not as not as a libertarian. So that that's a big difference. Once you once you put that L beside your name, I don't know I don't know what happens, but there's some statement attached to it. I think carries some kind of charge for a lot of people. I think I think it's the biggest part is it not being an R or a D. Um, yeah, and then and then maybe. Maybe an I is more relatable than the L. I don't know. I'd love yeah. to know. I'd love to see. I'd love to see Rainwater and Jorgensen both run again in twenty twenty four as independents. Not because I want them to leave the LP, but just because I want to see what happens. I just want to see if they did nothing different. Yeah, that's the only change they make. What's the difference in the outcome? Yeah. Let me say one more thing about. Uh, let, let me just wrap up with Jorgensen real quick. Sure. Um, Okay, so she said this. This is a quote from from her in the in the Guardian, um, she, when basically asked about this stuff. Like, uh, you know, there's candidates are mad at you and voters are mad at you. She reportedly said that many of her supporters were recovering Democrats who want U.S. troops brought home from abroad, as well as Republicans tired with federal spending. She says, if I can get Republicans to start acting like Republicans and cutting the deficit, and if I can get the Democrats to go back to being the party of peace, bringing our troops home and giving the average individual their rights, then yes, I would be very pleased, she told the newspaper. So this is a theme I've heard often within libertarian circles. Well, you know, there's there's lots of ways to win an election, right? One of the ways is to win the election. You know, if you're running for city council or whatever, you actually get appointed to the city or you get you win your election and you you serve on the city council. But another yeah. way to win is to drive membership for the LP, to stir up um, buzz and all that kind of stuff. Another way to win is to make the Republicans and Democrats better on liberty issues. You know, if the Republicans aren't defending personal liberties like Eric Holcomb, our, our Indiana governor, um, was bypassing our process and issuing stay-at-home orders and mask mandates and not upholding the issues of personal freedom. That lost him a lot of votes. And they got, I think they got a little scared. Um, so hopefully the next time um, they're going to think about that. They're going to think, well, if, if, I get, if I step too far into the you know, authoritarian boots, the libertarians are going to get pissed off again. And, uh, you know, take a substantial chunk of the votes away. Yeah. Yeah. So if the Democrats improve, too, because we stole some of their votes, then then good. Let's just get let's just make society better. Well, now um, and something I want to I want to um, touch on something you mentioned uh, earlier in this segment where you talked about how um, there's a squat within the Libertarian Party who says, let's not be pragmatists and try to be a big tent like the Republicans and the Democrats are. Um, well, let's stick to uh, our principles unwaveringly. And, and, and I've often said it's one thing I greatly admire about you guys. Um, I'd sure love to see um, Republicans be um, uh, stick to um, three-pillared conservatism. But uh, the Democrats uh, also um, still have, have to aspire to be a big tent, and that's led to um, a real pickle for them this time around mm -hmm. uh, the, the the elections have shown that particularly for for congress um and and for on on state levels that um the the uh real hard left represented by aoc types and um and uh um bernie sanders types and the public did did not um cotton to that. They had a distaste for that. Uh, it, it was more pragmatic uh, Democrats, Joe Manchin types, who um, did the best in, in, in our elections last week. And um, this, is, this does not please the likes of uh, AOC at mm. all. She, she called the Democrats um, incompetent after election <laughs> losses. Uh, she, she said uh, they could have placed progressives in top positions. Um, for instance, in a tweet, uh, you can't just tell the black, brown, and youth organizers writing in to save us every election to be quiet or not have their uh, reps champion them when they need us or wonder why they don't show up for midterms when they're scolded for existing. Um, 
she um, uh, is is really uh, livid uh, that the, the party apparatus did not do more to shore up support for for progressive candidates. Um, as a matter of fact, she at one point said, I, I'm not sure I even understand why I'm in politics. She, she was so dis discouraged about that. Yeah, I wish I had gotten the um, the quote, but someone had asked her about running for the Senate seat, which I believe would be Schumer's Senate seat. And she said something to the effect of, I don't really know whether I'll be out uh, living on a homestead or if I'll be doing that. Like, I have just as much chance of running for, you know, uh, Senate is running for the hills. <laughs> okay, um, and uh, yeah, okay. The um, who there was a conference call among a, uh, a bunch of more moderate Democrats last week, and I'm trying to remember the uh, person's name, um, a, a congresswoman who um, said uh, uh, and she started crying on on the conference call about um, because um, she, she said we've got to give up think, talking about uh, uh, yeah you're you're uh, talking about um, uh, is it Sponberger yes yes exactly thank you um, and and uh, she said you know voters do not. Uh, cotton to uh, calls to defund the police or, or, or yeah I, I got the quote here she says okay. no one should say defund the police ever again um, uh, nobody should be talking about socialism she says if they keep the party tactics up in 22 elections we'll get the F torn apart they censored it here on foxnews.com yeah. <laughs> now consider that she is castigating uh, the Democrat Party from the other end that AOC is castigating it from. She, mm -hmm. AOC says, you know, we should sort of almost e echoing um, libertarians' fealty to purity of principle. AOC is that we ought to be the progressives and proud of it and, and really pour our energy into supporting all those races where full-throated progressives are running. Um, where And then uh, this other um, congressperson says uh, <laughs> that's political poison. It's obvious yeah. that people don't like that. Well, and it just depends. I mean, people in AOC's district might like it just fine, and and you know, people in uh, Middle America aren't going to resonate with that so much. You know, so you yeah. know, it it just depends. There's a there's another thing here that um, AOC had said. Um, uh, she said, um, "I've been begging for the party to let me help them for two years." Um, right, I remember hearing that. All five of the venerable or swing district people that I helped secured victory or are on a path to secure victory, and every single one that rejected my help is losing. Um, that's from Fox News. So, you know, I mean, she might be right. I don't know if that's an accurate statement, but it probably is. Um, but I think that the I think that yeah, it's it's the the Democrat Party. I don't know if they can keep being a big tent like this, you know. Um, it's not that well, big of a tent. <laughs> yeah, and, and the same darn thing, uh, what we covered earlier in the show. Um, uh, there's going to be a real day of reckoning between Trumpism and other kinds of Republicanism. Yeah. Uh, um, um, you know, I mentioned during our, our first segment uh, how I'd, I'd like to um, – grab uh, Senators Purdue and Loeffler from Georgia and shake them by the shirt collars for being such knuckleheads and demanding that um, the Attorney General resign for his hammock. Um, the uh, other side of the coin is um, that keeps the Trumpist base fired up to make such firebrand comments. And, um, and with this runoff coming up, um, the uh, they they need the vote the, the votes of the Trump base and um, Loeffler and Purdue probably think they're helping Trump. My point being that uh, both of the major political parties are trying to fit these diametrically opposed elements within them uh, into their big tents, and and it's going to cause a 
each of them uh, problems. Um, Oh, go ahead. I was just wondering if you if you saw a fragment coming. Do you think that they'll actually ever split? I think, you know, we we have a Green Party, um, but do you and there's also a Democratic Socialist Party. Uh, do you think that anyone will ever actually break off and go to those parties or um, I, I, I start know, a new may, one? We may be seeing hints of a, of a, an alignment so fundamental that that it um, that births new coalitions that become parties uh, to replace Republicans and Democrats because um, uh, the, the, the factions within the Republicans and Democrats that are opposed to really can't abide each other very well. Um, and now there's all uh, um, outside organizations that, that are having a big cultural influence right now. Um, there is uh, a... Um, Patrice Cullors, who was one of the three women that founded Black Lives Matter in 2013 and uh, is a self-avowed trained Marxist, um, she's now the leader of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, and she penned a letter um, that was released um, November 7th um, addressed to President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President uh, Kamala Harris. Um, basically saying that um, we expect to be at the table. We expect to help shape your administration's uh, policies. And um, they, uh, Black Lives Matter, wields considerable influence, and they're fiercely determined. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, Kamala Harris is uh, fair, fairly sympathetic to them, and Joe Biden's kind of, uh, he's this faltering guy in his late 70s who um, probably uh, would uh, just kind of um, twiddle his thumbs while they ran roughshod over uh, his own agenda. And he'd have to kind of, and he's already on record as as pandering to the whole um, identity politics thing. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what he's good at. That's what he's good at. He's he's really good. He's really good at making... Black people think he's got their best interest in in mind. Right. He's been yeah. doing that for half a century. You're right. And uh, <clears throat> so um, that's why, as a as a conservative, I, I, I'm not real keen on identifying myself as a Republican anymore. But that's why that Georgia runoff in January is so important. Without without um, a Republican majority in the Senate. All this stuff will just come tumbling down. The oh road. yeah, oh yeah. Identity politics and climate alarmism and um, oh yeah, and and, and uh, the federalization of education. Yeah, that's why. That's why one one reason why, like as much as I abhor Trump and just think he's a really foul human being um, and a man of of very little character, um, I just. Having Joe Biden at the helm of this nation or Kamala Harris – I'm sorry, Kamala Harris at the, at the helm of this nation, it's just, it's, just, it's just a recipe for disaster. I know, I know that, that the corporate tax is going back up. The jobs are, are going to disappear again. Um, I know that there will be draconian COVID lockdown measures um, that are going to continue to impact the economy and and really, really, really impact people's real lives and, and cause a lot of pain, heartache and suffering. That's that's unnecessary. And um, and I feel like uh, we just don't have, you know, we, with Trump, we had we sort of had an embarrassing crap show. Um, in the media, but we also had someone who was willing to go to bat for freedom on some issues, right? Sure. Not and, a and lot. Is- and I realize he's he's just as pro big government as 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 a lot of Democrats. But um, uh, and I don't support that. But on, on a few key issues, he was the only one defending freedom. And the and the truth is 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 that now we don't have anyone defending anything. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I, apropos of his being a proponent of big government, in the 2016 campaign, when he was asked about, um, are you, are you cool with the, uh, Affordable 
Care Act, or would you like to replace it something with something, or just just abolish it? All he had to say was, "We have to take care of everybody," which is mm -hmm. not only uh, um, maddeningly vague; it it indicates a collectivist mindset. Yeah. The government top down has to take care of everybody. Yeah, and and his his whole protectionist trade policy. Yeah, he's he's just such a mixed bag because, like you say, on and it's where um, when I get entangled with Trumpists. Uh, they never fail to trot this out, and they're actually on pretty solid ground. Well, what about pulling out of the um, Paris Accord? And what about deregulation? And these are great moves. And what about, uh, yeah, originalist judges? These are great moves. I can't argue with that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, Donald Trump's just been a mixed bag that uh, it's kind of like trying yeah, to but, nail over the wall. Yeah, so, 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 so. Theology. So Trump was that that guy that you know if he's if he was a baseball player he'd be that guy that would get up to the plate and nine times out of ten he'd hit himself with the bat and <laughs> yeah. and the tenth time he'd knock it out of the park yeah you know and Biden is never even going to be able to find the stadium you know? <laughs> right um, and 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 there will be lots of people like uh, Patrice Cullors and. Um, uh, Nancy Pelosi and AOC at a stadium is this way, Mr. President. <laughs> right. And, and there'll be draconian measures. Um, you know, if, if you think about what Biden and, and Harris said during the debates and during the uh, election cycle, um, that the president wasn't doing enough, that there should be um, federal lockdown orders and there should be federal mask mandates and this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, not even considering um, the idea that that should be handled on a state by state or municipality by municipality level, um, even though I have some problems with 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 those, um, it's it's still like you, you you know that there is no constitutional breach that they consider out of the question. Yeah. And and the court packing thing really terrifies me. I like if if they proceed to do this, I, I... once again, Clyde. That's why I, I know you're not a Republican, and I'm like I say, I'm not really either. Uh, I am a conservative, but that's why these, I'm I'm really biting my nails about what happens in Georgia in early January. Yeah, yeah. Because that that's that's all that can stand between um, a. a uh, a, a chance for for freedom and and the principles we share, and on the other side, um, wholesale imposition of this uh, you know, yeah vision and, and court packing and, and new states and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your choice just went out the window. Well, I guess it's probably a good place to wrap it up and oh, call okay. it a day. So, um, yeah, we covered a lot of territory. Uh, it's just. One thing I think that we can probably both agree on is that this election did nothing to um, lessen the polarization. We're about an equally divided country. Boy, that's true. Yeah, it, 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 it's kind. Of, I've, I've seen it likened to the trench warfare on the in. Uh, the countryside in France in World War One. People would just fight to the death for months over. 30 yards of terrain and then they advance and get it and then the other side would push back and you just yeah yeah and, and yeah. that's kind of what where we are politically in america well in congress i think that's good um if, yeah. con if congress yeah. is gridlocked they can't pass any stupid freaking laws exactly yeah and we're better off but with the gridlock people means nothing will get done in government yay yeah. <laughs> exactly. but if the people are divided like that i think that's a bigger problem because um you know I mean, we'll, oh man, it's it makes for some real sad situations, like family members not talking to each other, and it manifests yeah. in violence, and you, bet. you know, more more of the intolerance, you know, on both sides. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we have uh, put our special touch on it and fixed the the world's problems today. Yeah. Um, reader or viewers and listeners, um, please chime in um, on the comment threads underneath our uh, Facebook post uh, uh, at our YouTube page uh, and uh, send us emails. Um, be part of the conversation here. At yes. Party. 
please do that. And the and the best way you can do that is to subscribe. So you can subscribe to um, um, our YouTube channel. You can subscribe to our audio podcast on Apple or on Spotify or on just about any podcast application or manager that you prefer. Um, you can um, follow us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter. And you can also follow us now on Parlor uh, at Barney and Clyde. Um, And uh, I just personally opened up a MeWe account, so I'm going to make one for the show as well. I think Parlor and MeWe are kind of um, a little bit underdeveloped, but um, but just hedging bets because a lot of people are getting removed unfairly from the bigger platforms, and there needs to be some place to go and. I'm not saying that these are good platforms, but they are al- alternatives that people are going to. So we'll have a presence there, and I hope you subscribe and, and chime in and, and comment and let us know what you think. Yeah. Uh, so um, we do this fortnightly and forthrightly so that uh, we'll be back at it again in a couple of weeks. And uh, until then, stay vigilant about your freedom. Well, that's an interesting development.